is 1.37 p.m. Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it is February 4th, Thursday. It's about 11.02 here in San Diego, California. And I have the pleasure of speaking with a man coming off of an incredible victory. He's on a nice little win streak. And he's starting to knock at the door of this welterweight division a little bit. Michael Maverick Yessa, thank you so much for the time. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's good to be here. And uh, you said my last name right, so we're off to a good start. Oh, well, to be fair, like I I take a lot of pride in the name thing. Like it really bothers me when people get that wrong. And when I do get it wrong, I want people to let me know because you'll hear multiple pronunciations of different names. Yeah, but no, I, I take it seriously. So I'm I'm glad you appreciate it. So hell of a victory last yeah. week. You know, I'm in San Diego, so I was watching that thing at like 9:30 a.m., which was a little bizarre for me. But what's the the last week been like? How's the body feel um, after those like five round kind of those grueling uh, nitty gritty wrestling battles, as opposed to those uh, maybe more striking heavy matches? Uh, my body feels good. You know, just a couple little, uh, couple things I had to get checked out, but nothing major. You know, I'm, I'm still staying, staying active, staying in the gym, um, you know, and looking to get back this summer, you know, but in the meantime, you know, I'm, I got, you know, I got some shows coming up. I got some things I got to do and, uh, you know, all in all, I'm just very happy with how things went on the 20th. So it's just good to be home and there's nothing like being home on a win. Yes. I mean, it's gotta be a pretty incredible feeling. So everyone when I say everyone, everyone is talking about your move to welterweight, right? It's the big talk of the town. Oh, since he's gone up to 170, he's not as depleted. And I don't want to downplay that move to welterweight, but I feel like it also might be discrediting the actual work that you're doing maybe in the gym. And so outside of the weight cut, something in the gym had – have you kind of felt a groove in the gym, whether it was with the grappling or with the striking that you're like, you know, really, it might come down more to this than even the weight cut itself? I've always known I've had the skills, you know, um, you know, I, I got into the top eight and lightweight and, you know, that wasn't just because I was a big lightweight. That's because I possessed some skills to beat some very talented guys. You know, I beat Jim Miller, Benil Dariush, um, you know, some guys that are that are very well off in their in their careers at lightweight. Uh, but definitely the weight cut was really starting to hamper me. My weight cuts were more about cutting weight than they were about, you know, getting better at my skills. And, and I was able to get as far as I did without really improving any of my skills at all, just focusing on the weight cut. So it's like, I kind of, it's like, I don't know. I kind of was fighting restrained. I feel like where now the restraints are off. I don't have to focus so much on cutting weight. I'm still a big guy for 170 pounds. I mean, I'm I'm walking around at like 197 right now. You know, I'm I'm not fat. I got a six pack. I'm still in shape. Um, so I'm still having to cut weight to make 170 pounds. But it's just nice to have the restraints off my training where I can focus on my skills. And if there's days where I'm starting to feel like I'm run down, I can have a lighter day and not have to worry about being a couple pounds heavier the next day if I if I lighten my workload a little bit. So it's giving me a lot of room to to make improvements. It's giving me a lot of space to listen to my body. And all in all, it just makes me a better athlete. I mean, at the end of the day, we all know how to fight. We're all in the UFC. It's going to be the guys that can separate themselves as the, the higher level athletes, who's the more elite athlete 
when it comes to competition. So I feel like the restraints are off and I feel like, uh, you know, it's full steam ahead to the welterweight title. When you talk about those restraints and maybe it was, you know, obviously at 55, is that something where in the moment of a 55 fight, you were like, Oh man, I don't want to shoot for a takedown now because it might tire me out and I might not be able to finish, you know, the end of the three rounds. Or is it more now like, yo, I'm just, I'm just going to go. And, and my gas tank is good enough. And you obviously handle the five rounds incredibly. Is that kind of what you're talking about with the restraints? Are you kind of saying specifically with the training aspect? It's more with the training that I'm able to train with the restraints off where I can focus on my skills and not just be so restrained to like having to focus on cutting weight. But when it comes to the actual fights, it's funny that you say that. Like when I, when I, when I was at 155, I would fight like I just would push the pedal to the floor and hope for the best. And I had some great results. You know, I had some, I've gotten some performance bonuses. I finished a lot of guys, but um, I was always fighting in a fog. I wasn't able to really make a lot of like cerebral decisions while I was competing. It was more like I'm fighting in a fog and I'm just going full steam ahead to see what happens. And whether the fights were ended in three rounds or, you know, ended in the first, I was always just gassed out. Whereas now it's like, I'm able to push a harder pace, but I can be more cerebral and make decisions. I can push a harder fight but make decisions along the way. I can be a little more calculated instead of like fighting in this fog because my brain's not fully rehydrated. Like the last thing, a little biology lesson for the day. Yeah. When you, when you completely dehydrate yourself to the, to the magnitude that I was doing it, the last thing to rehydrate is your brain. It all starts from the center of your body and works its way out. So the last thing that gets rehydrated is your brain. And that, that, that has a lot of effect on cognitive function, decision-making, where, where am I mentally present in a fight? And it just wasn't there at 155. I just, I, I look back on some of those fights, particularly the losses. And I'm like, gosh, I would, that would never happen now. I, 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 that was a mental, that was a mental mistake more or less, like not trying to discredit my opponents, but a lot of that was like bad decision-making compared to like just getting beat by a better guy. So I feel like I was beating myself in there and uh, I'm glad that I better late than never. So I'm, I'm glad I finally made the jump to 170. One of the things I really try and do like in my content is make the fight game relatable and digestible for like the average sports fan. You know, it's, it's such a unique sport MMA and fighting itself is not practiced by that many people that I think a lot of people just have so many misconceptions and lack of understandings for a lot of topics. And you see that when people fight for the first time, when they spar for the first time, if they go to the gym it is moving at a million miles per hour. And it's hard for people to sometimes think that, oh, that's what they're feeling in the ring. So I, I hear what you're saying with that, like co- cognitive functioning dynamic. I never knew that about the brain. So I appreciate you telling me that. You've said that the Anthony Pettis fight was kind of like an alarm clock moment for you. And you said that, you know, I shouldn't be getting tapped out by strikers right and you know showtime's the man so like it's it's not about showtime but in that fight in between the first and second round you go back to your corner you're sitting on your stool and a coach goes yo you're using too much adrenaline right now you're not using your energy you're using adrenaline right now could you kind of give maybe just like insight as to what he's exactly saying and what the difference is in adrenaline energy versus like your energy yeah i mean that was a that was a weird time for me um very trying year 2018 was challenging 
you know, I miss weight for that fight. I'm just off the bat, just that alone. I'm already out of my element. Um, you know, backstage, I'm like, you know, when I'm, when I'm backstage in the locker room, I'm, I'm very game. I'm very sharp. You know, I'm having a laugh here and there, but for the most part, I'm like, I'm really, you can tell I'm getting in the zone. I'm very focused. And I was just saying some very weird stuff and, I, I can't really explain it, but like my corner men were like, dude, we were all worried. You were saying some really weird things. And it's just like, you know, every single person that I was walking by on the way to the tunnel, I'm like saying hi to and high fiving. And like, usually I'm like eyes straight forward. I'm fuck. I'm very focused on, on the task at hand. I'm not really trying to fist bump every person. I know that I walk by as I'm getting to the curtain and, and not to mention, we're talking, this is a sold out T-Mobile arena. Daniel Cormier versus Steve Miocic for the heavyweight title. The place is packed. I'm on the main card. I'm fighting Anthony Showtime Pettis. Finally, a guy I've looked up to for a long time. Tremendous fighter. First ballot Hall of Famer. And I just let, I just let everything get the best of me. I like, I just, I was so out of tune with myself. And I just, I, when I went into that fight, I just, I, I don't feel like I had, I didn't have my normal energy. I do when I, when I compete. I, I, I was just kind of leaning on my adrenaline. Like I didn't have, um, you know, I'm not trying to sound corny, but it's like, I didn't have like the Maverick wasn't coming out. Maverick wasn't coming out. You know, that, that's that alter side of me that comes out when I compete that ferocious competitor, he was nowhere to be found. I was just kind of leaning on my adrenaline and I hate to sound corny, but that's just like the best way I can put it in perspective. I didn't have that, that other side of me wasn't coming out. So I'm just kind of leaning on my adrenaline and, and that's not a good thing to do because that bleeds out real fast. You can only use so much adrenaline in a fight. And, um, you know, and Anthony's a hell of a fighter. He read me like a book. He saw that I was just unloading through that first round. And, I mean, the, he, he, he taught me a lot of lessons that night. And I'm very thankful for it. And when I'm saying I got submitted by a striker, I'm not trying to, like, sometimes that, that might sound a little bad. But that's actually me giving him a ton of credit, like, this guy's known for his elite striking. And I've been saying it in interviews leading up to the fight that I think borderline, he's a better grappler than he is a striker. We've seen him submit Gilbert Melendez. We've seen some amazing grappling exchanges. He had with Benson Henderson and his fight is highlighted by the showtime kick, you know? So I, I, I give him a lot of credit in the grappling department, but at the end of the day, that's what I'm best at. And I went out there, leaned on my adrenaline got submitted by a striker and just learned a lot of hard, valuable lessons. I'm in the wrong weight class. I need to be more humble. I need to be myself. I, I, you know, Anthony, Anthony served me a nice cold plate of humble pie and, uh, it's probably the most fulfilling meal I've ever had in my life because it, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. I wouldn't be here if, if Anthony Pettis wouldn't have caught me with that triangle arm bar. So, you know, at the end of the day, I, I have a certain level of gratitude that that happened. MMA has a – not even just MMA, I guess sports, but combat sports in general, man. There's nothing like that balance of, of humility and confidence because, you know, what, what makes so many of these fighters so great is that confidence. You know, you think about the McGregor walk, you think about guys who appear stone-cold killers, but at the same time, you only get there if you're facing that humility in the gym – you're losing rounds. You know, Floyd Mayweather says, you know, I've never lost a fight, but that's because I lose rounds at, at the gym and I want to keep it that way. So MMA is a funny game like that, man. Sometimes, I mean, there's a good chance you don't even go on this win streak that you're on without that moment in your life as a catalyst to really move you forward. Oh, 100%. I say that all the time. It's uh, this sport. You don't learn from your losses. 
Like if you're, if you're, if you are, if you, if you, if you're savvy enough, you'll win a fight and you'll pick yourself apart to where you don't get too high on the wins and you'll find things to work on. But when you lose, there's always something glaring that stands out or a few things that really stand out. that make you look at the big picture and be like, gosh, dang, like there's a lot of things I could have done better. So, uh, you know, I'm thankful for that moment. I wouldn't be here on a four or five win streak back in the top 10 at, at 170 pounds had I not learned that lesson from Anthony. So, uh, you know, I've countless times I've expressed my gratitude for what I experienced that night um, when I shared the octagon with him. And, you know, he's on to great things in his career. I'm excited to see him fight in the PFL. I think it's going to do great things for the sport. And uh, he's a pioneer, man. It's uh, those lessons that you learn. You want to lose them to guys like Anthony Pettis. Yeah, he's a he's a really good dude. He was actually the the first fighter I had on this show, so I also have a, a tremendous amount of respect and appreciation for him just for doing that. And we actually hit it off pretty well. Uh, you mentioned you're a big welterweight still, right? You're still cutting weight to make 170. How accurate are the like tail of the tape listings? Like, does what it says is that what you are, or what do you? Height wise, reach wise, is it pretty close? Because in the NBA, they're like, "Yo, that's not that's not right." <laughs> uh, I feel like it's fairly accurate. I mean, it depends. I know some guys that like wouldn't extend their arms all the way when they're doing like the reach test. Uh, um, I don't know. I'm, I haven't done my measurements in a while, but um, that was from when I I did mine when I was on Ultimate Fighter. So I was like 2012, and I feel like I hit. I mean, a lot of people that uh, that I train with and I'm surrounded by, they all feel like I hit like a second growth spurt at 28 because I just kind of like started to get taller, get a little wider, get a little longer, started to put on more mass. Um, so I'd, I'd like to be recalculated to see if, if the numbers still stack up the same. You, I mean, you look big still like in the octagon. You you appear as a bigger welterweight. So I, I just – it is surprising, you know, from novice people like myself, you know, you see the guy make the leap and they're like, yo, he looks huge compared to these guys. Um, so Matt Sarah gave you a hard time about your call out of Colby Covington and I'm not going to stand for it, okay? Yeah. I enjoyed the call out a little bit. Um I think it's one, it's a great call out to the, the nature in which you did it is really, really kind of fun as well. Saying, you know, the show's over Colby Covington, you know, the, the election's over politics are over in the next 12 months. If you could manifest the next 12 months to AT, how does it go? Who do you fight where and when? And, and this is just in your head, right? Like if things went the way you want them to go, how does the next 12 months play out? I think the next fight's a top five guy, and I think that comes in the summer. Um, I win that fight. I move on into a title contention fight. I mean, this is a really stacked weight class. You got guys like Hamza Tumayev and Leon fighting. It's nasty. Yeah, possibly whoever wins that fight goes on to number one contender. You got Burns and uh, Usman fighting fighting next month, this month on the 13th. You got uh, potentially Colby and Mazadal. You got Wonder Boy in the fringes, so I don't know. Um, I like a guy in the top five by this summer. And then by the end of the year, I'd like to get myself in a title eliminator. And then I'd like to be fighting for the title in 2022. Um, that, that sounds ideal to me. I, this is the perfect time for me to make my run. My body, my mind, everything's in sync. And I've had a lot of I, – I've missed a few opportunities at title fights. Some, some in my own – some of some of the things, some of those missed opportunities were in my control. Some of them were not. But now I'm to a point in my life where I'm 33 years old. I'm in my prime, physically and mentally. 
and I'm mature enough for what comes next. You have to have a certain maturity level to take on the role as a champion. You have to live your life as a champion before you ever get the title. So I've embodied that and I'm mature enough for what comes next. I think that that's what's most important because I think a lot of people in this sport possess the physical skills. They possess the talents. They possess the work ethics, but they don't, they don't possess the maturity that comes with being a champion. So I feel like I, I finally put all the pieces together and I'm in the right place to make that run. So that's how I can see the next 12 months playing out for me. Sports has changed a lot over the last 40, 50 years for a variety of different reasons, whether it's like um, technical things and, and this is even beyond MMA, but like the health and fitness dynamic has changed as well to where now people from ages 30 to 40, you can still compete and be a top dog. And, and for a long time, it was like 30 years old was the age because your body was still young and your mind was mature enough to handle everything that comes with you know, being a public figure or whatever, that's kind of extended now. And even like Daniel Cormier, who it's really cool seeing him interview after your fight. Like obviously, right here. yeah, right there. like the fact that you guys have a relationship and he's interviewing you in the, in the octagon after the fights is still really cool to see. Um, that, that window is now extended and it almost feels like in MMA, there's like a dad strength or like an old man strength thing that kicks in for these guys ages 30 to 40. And you don't really see that. And and in the NFL, it's changed a little bit because Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers are still kind of like elite level guys at that age. It's just kind of a unique difference um, than it was maybe 20 years ago. And you, you're feeling that physically. Oh, 100%. I mean, I, uh, I definitely see, I don't want to overstay my welcome. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be one of these guys that stays too long, but yeah. I mean, I don't feel like I'm slowing down. Like, yeah, do I get a little more sore? Yeah. But it gets to a point where, like you said, like be, being a veteran, being a certain, having a certain amount of experience and being a veteran goes a long way in this sport. If you can preserve your body, not put too many miles on your brain. I think that there's sometimes a guy's age doesn't match up to his, his, his fighting age. Your fighting age can be determined by how much, how many wars you've been in, how many tough fights you've been in. A a guy 33 might come off a lot older in fighting years because of how many fights he's had. So um, I try not to, I take, take the least amount of damage on my brain possible. I, I feel like my age is on par with my fighting years, if that makes any sense. And, um, it's just all about how you train. You know, I can see myself, you know, my buddy, Paul Felder, you know, he's, he's still competing hard at 36, 37 years old and, uh, guys like DC, you know, fighting at 41 years old, fighting for the title. So I definitely, I don't have a, a, a timeline set for myself, but I just know that as long as I keep training smart, I can still have a lot of my best years ahead of me. And I feel like my best years are ahead of me. I'm not going to be a guy. I don't spar unless I'm in camp. And even at that, my sparring has been minimized to, to once a week. Um, not taking too much damage on the head, focusing more on drilling, focusing on skills. My biggest emphasis is my strength conditioning. And that's probably why I come off to be a lot more physical at 170 pounds. Than I did at 155. So it's all about training smarter and, um, you know, and then you can preserve your body and then have a longer career. And I think that that's something that a lot of guys are starting to pick up on. Any specific uh, weightlifting or workout that you feel like has made a big impact on you? People always look to fighters as like the peak of fitness. What's been kind of like a big workout uh, regimen or practice that you've taken on? 
It's it's really just my routine, honestly. Uh, I work hand in hand with Bo Sandoval at the UFC Performance Institute. I you know I'll go down and visit him. He'll write programs for me. I'll come home, and I have a strength conditioning coach here that runs those programs when I'm in camp. And um, you know, it's just it's all about regiment. That's the biggest thing. It's like I'm learning. Like even out of camp, I'm sticking to the three days a week: Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. I'm lifting weights. I'm doing strength conditioning. And I'm doing it by I'm by a regiment. I'm not flying by the seat of my pants, making things up as I go. Like everything is very regimented. And I think that that's very important. You want to, if you want to achieve gains, and that can be even outside of the weight room. If you want to achieve gains in your technical skills, if you want to, this is in life. This could be if you want to obtain skills, you know, that you're trying to acquire with your office job or being a realtor or a salesman or anything. It's all about regiment. You have to be regimented in every single thing you do. So you have to have every single day. There's a certain thing you need to do, and no matter how you feel or what's going on. You stick to that plan. You stick to that regiment, no matter through thick and thin, clear skies and squalls. You stick to that regiment, and that's how you produce the results that you're looking for. So that's my – when it comes to the stuff stuff regarding the strength conditioning, I tell people all the time, you set your three – you know, however many days a week you want to do it, you come up with a regiment, you stick to that regiment, like thick through thin, no matter what. Don't ever deviate away from it, and that's how you start to achieve – start to achieve gains and achieve your goals. Who's a fighter – that currently does not do TV that you think would be really good. Mm, it does not do TV that would do really good. Uh, I think Algernon Sterling would do great. Uh, I know he has a podcast, um, and I, you know I tune in and watch his podcast. But he's he's got good knowledge of the sport, good blend of grappling and striking. He comes from a good camp, and you know he speaks well. And he's got you got to have a little bit of flair. A lot of people can speak well, but they're still bland. Like you got to have a little flavor. You got to have a little sprinkle a little bit of your own seasoning on you know in the pot you know so you got to be you know i think Algernon sterling would do well um juliana pena she does stuff for combat to americas i think she'd do well in the ufc um but it's it's you got to have a perfect blend of like skills as well as personality and i think both of those two would, would fit the bill very well what's been the hardest part of tv uh be, getting comfortable getting comfortable like mm-hmm. i I was very rigid, like very rigid, very stiff, wasn't laughing, wasn't having fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to learn how to listen to the people speaking in my ear. That's the hardest Producers. part. Oh, dude, especially when you don't know the terminology. Like they don't give you a cheat sheet or study <laughs> beforehand. You're learning on the fly. So uh, th- that was the hardest thing was like get comfortable. Now it's like I like to laugh, have fun, poke fun at DC, have some fun with the guys I'm working with. So that was the biggest thing was just learning how to get comfortable. That's all because, you know, as I'm a sports broadcast major, that's my realm, right? We went to school and we learned all those terminology things. So, yeah, dude, piggyback, piggyback, piggyback. I'm like, piggyback who? Do I jump on someone's back? Like, what do I do right now? (laughs) Uh, And then the worst, though, is when they're in your ear. Uh, Ten seconds. Ten. Yeah. uh, uh, Seven, four, five. Guys, guys, we got to go to commercial. So that's the worst. It's the absolute worst. Um, so you're doing a new podcast. Can you give us an update on it? Uh, so I've, I've got a couple projects I'm working on. Uh, me and Paul Felder, we just shot a pilot called UFC Roundup, hoping that gains some traction so we could come up with like a weekly show for the UFC, um, making it fun, doing something from home. Um, and I'm actually, I get the worst internet at my house. I live out in the woods, so at least an office. I'm kind of going all in. This is kind of a passion project for me, so I'm going to, you know, we shot the pilot for UFC roundup and then I'm going to be working with my buddy, Joe McHale, who's a sports broadcaster here for the local news in Spokane. I'm going to do one with him and I think I'm going to do one by myself. Um, but yeah, I just, I think it's good for me to get repetitions and 
it's something I'm passionate about. I always have something to say and, and I have a lot of good connections. I'm not just a fighter, man. I have a lot of passions. People don't know about, I'm an avid skateboarder. I'm an avid snowboarder. I love sports. Like I, there's a lot of different things and there's a lot of interesting personalities that I have crossed paths with throughout my life. And these are people that I feel like with my platform, even if I only get a couple other, a couple hundred people listening to my podcast, they'll learn something new about somebody they never would have known of before if it wasn't for me. So it's something that I want to get some content out there and, and, uh, you know, my, my horizons are very broad. So I'd like to, you know, broaden other people's horizons with, with the different types of things that, that I pursue in my life. And I think that it's something that would be, it's not, I'm not doing this for monetary reasons. It's just for passion, something I'm passionate about. Like, uh, I think that that's sometimes more important than, than chasing the bucks is, is keeping yourself fulfilled and being happy. So that's, that's, that's kind of where my motivation with it is. I've only got a few more. Um, you're a skater and a, and a snowboarder. You don't surf, do you by chance? I've never, I've never surfed. I've never lived by the ocean. So I, I surf earth. That's the closest I've came to surfing, but sooner okay, or later so, I'll get to the ocean. Okay. So I'm a San Diego guy. My high school, San Diego Academy has the number one surf program oh, wow. in the, yeah. Like we have surf PE where instead of going to school for first period, you would go to the beach and surf. So like, I'm from one of the biggest surf communities in the world. If you ever make it down to LA or San Diego, I think a fun piece of content would be if I, you know, kind of took you out. So if you skate and snowboard, like you're going to be able to handle it once you're up on the wave. The hardest part is the pop-up. Oh yeah, like, that is definitely, I, I've, I've, I understand the mechanics of it a little bit and I could definitely see that being the hardest part. Without a doubt, it's the hardest part. And a lot of, I mean, and you handle adrenaline well, which will, help you tremendously because a lot of people panic when they're out there they, they freak out a little bit so um i think that would be a lot of fun if we made that happen uh number two what whiskey did you celebrate with uh i went with the speaker scotch from uh from my buddy patrick who's he's he's in parliament up in canada I, I had a i had a couple fingers of the of the speaker scotch that he sent me um last year and I had some of Bruce Buffer's. Bruce Buffer's got that knockout bourbon that he came out with. It's really good. So I, I, I came home, had a couple fingers of each, and uh, it was pretty good. Not bad. Haven't smoked a cigar yet, though, so I'm, I'm waiting for my, my victory stogie. But I should probably get on that soon. It's been a couple of weeks already. Yes, you should. You absolutely you should have had 10 by now, <laughs> in my opinion, after that performance. Um, don't tell my mom, but I've had urges to get a tattoo. Oh, and I kind of wanted to see if you had any advice for me, you know, as I maybe ponder my first one. I say start small and just I think the first one's the hardest one to plan. It's like you kind of have an idea. You kind of don't. I think it's best to not plan too much. Think just think of something small. It doesn't have to be right out in the open. You know what I mean? Just pick pick a small tattoo, shoot from the hip. Just go find a good tattoo shop with a guy that you trust. <laughs> And just wing it. I think that's the best thing to do is just wing it for your first one. And then if you like it, then you can kind of start to build into bigger ideas and get bigger pieces. And if you don't like it, then it's just something small and subtle that you can be like, hey, you know, I wanted to try this tattoo thing. It didn't work out. You know, I'm not a uh, A-lister fighter who's, you know, making the big bread fighting on uh, the big stage. But there's $100 on the line on this Mario Kart race. Who's your character that you're selecting? 
and which map or course are you not losing on? Ah, man, I'm pretty good at, I like to use Yoshi a lot. Yoshi is kind of my dog. That's my role. That's my role dog. And, uh, I like to, I like rainbow road a lot. I, I do pretty good. On, I do pretty good on rainbow road. Yeah. I'm a gangster. Rainbow you animal. Yeah. Yeah. Rainbow road's my jam. So yeah, that's kind of like my new fight week ritual, man. I've never really got super into the gaming during fight week. And I just think that's, that's just my jam now. Beat up my, beat up my teammates in Mario Kart. That's awesome. That's, that's really, really cool. Now, um, Michael, I, that's all I got for you. Um, seriously, thank you so much for the time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation half as much as I did because I love this stuff. I uh, just want to ask fun, engaging questions, and you've been awesome to talk to, man. I really, really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. And one last thing. Um, I'm doing this thing with the Good Fight Foundation, which is Dustin Poirier's nonprofit, and I, I'm auctioning off my fight-worn jacket for my last fight. I signed it. All 100% of the proceeds are going to charity. Um, and I support Dustin Poirier's foundation and, you know, I just want to get that out there. There's a link in my bio on my Instagram. Um, I'm pretty sure I have a link on my story on my profile right now. And the contest, the contest ends the day after Valentine's day. So the 15th, so we got less than two weeks. So full steam ahead. Um, all, all, like I said, all the proceeds go to, to go to charity. So go, uh, go make your bid. Hopefully win that jacket. You're the fucking man, Michael. Thank you you so much. We'll we'll have this out and uh, I'll let you know all about it. I cannot wait to see what is next for you, my friend. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Yep. Take it easy. Peace. This is 1.37 p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.